Hello out there. Welcome to the Holy Hour Podcast, the all-cure bi-weekly podcast. I'm Gavin, and uh, welcome, welcome to the show. Hope everybody's doing well, and um, yeah, we got a pretty chill episode here for you guys, so I hope you're comfortable and uh, ready to dive into some books with us. Yeah, we got a whole stack of Cure books. Instead of going into lyrical literature references this time i'm just gonna look at everything i have book related that is uh to the cure so um, we're gonna go through a list of books and uh recommendations give you the rundown of what's out there and what you should get and what you shouldn't if you don't have any cure literature so um should be fun it's a great idea We'll try to spice it up. It's just me here. I do apologize to Chaz in particular. We had been talking about recording this episode forever, and uh, I know he wanted to do it with me, but um, the Mystery Caller episode is uh, a tough one to edit. They're they're always tough when you got the four... fourth voice in there and it's hard to sync up so it's taking me a little longer to get that one edited Um, so I wanted to have this one ready upon my arrival home so I could post it for you guys and have it on time and uh, so I'm just cranking this one out on my own and apologies to Chaz uh, but hopefully we'll get his two cents um, online for any books that I might overlook or he has thoughts on but uh, yeah the reason why I'm going to be throwing this up real quick I've lucked out I'm going to Austin City Limits and uh, this will post the day I get back hopefully and uh, hopefully we'll get back and uh, yeah I'll tell you the whole rundown of how I uh, lucked into this chance as you heard from our summer festivals episode i did not have any plans to go to any festival shows this year due to money and time and um yeah location i guess would be the other one but uh, i locked into it i'll give you the full scoop on that episode as it comes up but um yeah feeling very uh very fortunate and and loved because of my loving and caring wife she she hooked me up with a ticket to Austin City Limits Weekend 2, but uh, more on that later. So, lots of circumstances of why we're doing the book episode. I know it could be kind of boring, a dude just sitting here talking about books. It doesn't work. No. So I'm going to try to keep it, uh, you know, high energy, (laughs) real action packed. Um, I'm, I just drank a whole pot of coffee, so I'll try not to doze off in the middle and keep this fun for you guys as well. Um, but before we even start the books, um, we got a cool email uh, last week from a newer listener, and uh, we were supposed to talk it over with the guys during the Mystery Caller episode that's coming up too, but um, somehow, even though we talked for three hours in that episode, we still ran out of time. And I didn't get to address the questions that this uh, caller, Chip, had uh, a writer wrote into us to answer. And they're just kind of random topics to discuss. So uh, I figured I'd tackle that at the top of this episode here. So uh, what do you think? Should we answer Chip's what-if questions and topics? Let's do it. New segment of the show. All right, so Chip writes in, What if The Cure broke up in 1993 after Wish? After the Wish tour, they just fade away. No dramatic announcements or hints of ever getting back together. Robert has a great solo career for a little while. Maybe some B-sides are released, some greatest hits collections. And then, 20 years later, 
they reunite for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Dun, dun. So here's the real question. Overall, it's a what if, but how much would that have blocked? How much would that block of music from '79 to '92 be held up as an example of awesomeness, productivity, growth, and um, ex- experimentation? There is no wild mood swings, no blood flowers, no self-titled, and no 413 dream. Perhaps some of those songs appear on Robert's solo album. So think of it that way. Okay. So, a lot to take in here, and like we said, it's a what if. Right off the bat, I have to say that Donald would be definitely in favor of this scenario happening. The band stops after Wish. Um, But if we really dive into the what if, let's see. Uh, First off, I guess you mentioned that they reunite for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That would have made that way more epic. Um, It was still pretty fucking epic, but that would have made it like mega epic. Um, But I still can never really see Robert doing something like that, you know? Like, almost seems like it would be way too much hype and too contrived. Or if it did happen, he would just work it somehow to make it feel like, I was just going to play the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and then all the guys just showed up and then they just played or something to make it feel less reunion-y and uh, more casual, but I don't know. But it still would have been pretty awesome, I guess. Uh, The lineup would have been disintegration lineup maybe or would you take uh it still probably would have had some controversy of who played with him and who didn't so uh we'll, we'll save that for another what if scenario but um let's get down to the the thick of the what if and um just if they had stopped after wish and um you know i think obviously it would have made that golden era of albums shine a little bit more um than they already do uh meaning about like head on the door through you know wish and then the early stuff um you know those first four albums or so even would would really stand out as like untouchable classic albums and really would magnify their legacy more i think and uh People would consider them an untouchable, flawless band from start to finish, pretty much at that point. So yeah, it would. But then there would have been those never-ending, nagging debates of, oh man, if only they had continued, you know? Like they do with every band that that ended probably a little before their time, you know? Everyone said, man, if they just made one more album after Wish, that would have been the ultimate one. It's such a shame that they finished when they did. And that would be more annoying, even, I think, um, than whatever, however you feel about From Wild Mood Swings Up. I think uh, it was better to have those. Um, maybe I'm not playing along with the what-if scenario enough, but I think uh, it, so much great stuff came out of you know, 96 to present day, no matter what you feel about those albums, even, um, even albums aside, if you just look at the tours and, and, um, how many experiences all of us had, even, you know, like so many younger fans, which seems goofy to say, but even for the wild mood swings tour, um, you know, I was like fresh out of high school. So I was young then. And, um, you know, and that meant a lot because I didn't get to see the Disintegration Prayer Tour. I didn't see, you know, Kissing Tour or anything like that. So it was like we got lucky and we were able to catch the Wish Tour, one show, Wish Tour, freshman year of high school. Um, but it wasn't really like the possibility of seeing like Cure shows as like a, what I would think of myself as a young adult at that point, you know, even though I was still oblivious. But you know what I mean? It's like seeing those shows in that era on were such a huge 
like part of my love of the cure even, you know, and seeing the blood flower shows and like, you know, everything in between for like galore and stuff or just these gradual collection of more cure experiences. And uh, we wouldn't have had any of those. Maybe we would have seen some Robert solo shows or something that would have been just as awesome. But I don't know. I don't think so. And then you have things like, you know, of course, the scattered songs on all those albums that are standout amazing care songs still, um, even if you take the bare minimum of opinions on those later albums, they all still have a few great songs that hold up with any Cure song. I think every Cure fan would have to at least admit that. Um, and then you have things like the trilogy shows and the Reflection Tour and stuff. I mean, so many great Cure things that happened that wouldn't have worked. Um, so I think it, it, we're better off with the real scenario of what happened um, and not having them break up and just disappear. I don't know if this totally fits, but I feel like if they had stopped in 93, they probably would have been cited as a bigger influence to modern music. Uh, for some reason, I feel like they always got kind of snubbed on that, especially from about like 93 to about 2004 is when it changed, but there was like a huge chunk of time where nobody was really citing them as a huge influence, and that always kind of bugged me. And I think it was just because they kept going, you know, while they're putting out blood flowers and stuff. Not as many bands were um, as likely to say, yeah, we were huge influenced by The Cure. Um, you know, in comparison to bands like The Smiths or Joy Division or Velvet Underground or something that are bands that are just done, you know, like there's no chance of those bands doing something stupid like a kid's rap album or something so when you're in another band and you cite them it's safe because you know that their body of work is done and it's never gonna be you know tainted in any way um so maybe that's what it is or it's just not as cool to cite a band that is still putting out albums but uh that always bugged me that they never got credit around 2004 with the self-titled album that seemed to change a lot I don't know if it was just the type of music that was coming back popular or the Ross Robinson connection or the MTV icon thing, but it seems like they're starting to get more and more bands popping up that weren't afraid to just say, of course, we're influenced by The Cure. So, um, you know, if they had stopped then, maybe that would have been more bands coming out and admitting, because I think they all do. They just weren't admitting that they were influenced by The Cure. <laughs> so that's another factor. But question two, I hope that answers your question. I don't know. I think I, I rambled. Number two, Robert's look. And should it, could it ever change? Back in the 80s, Robert changed his look up fairly often. He went from like a buzz cut to a new wave look to the mop head that he still is to this day. And I don't even know. Is it a wig now? Um, I hope it is for his scalp's sake. Okay, uh, the actual question in here is why and when do some artists get stuck in the same look? It may not even be the look they started out with, but one that is most associated with their biggest hits. Robert Smith never seemed like a guy who wanted to be known for the same thing. But in a way, he's almost a caricature of himself in 1989. I'd love to see him shave his head. Simon and the way that he routinely changes up his look and Pearl, Pearl... Um, sure change their look too so why not Robert okay so going on the look idea first off um, before we get to Robert even you mentioned Simon isn't afraid to change up his look 
and uh, Pearl and um, you know just everybody in the band. I think the band and themselves always do a great job of not just being Robert clones. You could see any other band that had the success of Robert and the cool look or anything at some point. You know, in those various eras where you know Simon's hair was big like Robert's, and then you know Perry would have like a little modest Robert look going. Uh, but for the most part, they were always just their own look anyway. Um, and and I think they could do that because they weren't the face of the cure, really. Um, so they had a little bit more freedom with that, where it didn't really matter if they looked like Robert or something. But you could totally see in a lot of other bands, if he had that distinct look, the rest of them would all look that way, too. And it would become more of a uniform look. But uh, they never did that. And that's always pretty cool, I thought. I think that look that he has um, is pretty sincere to him, believe it or not. And whether he still wears the makeup just to slip into character or it's more like war paint or the other reasons he's given in interviews over the years, um, only he really knows. Um, and maybe he doesn't even really know why he does it at this point. But I think it, it'd be sad if, if he just became some dude up there and didn't wear the makeup. So I'm all in favor of it. I think he's got to stay his Robert look. Remember that era? I'm not a Kiss fan by any means, but remember when Kiss stopped wearing their makeup? Everybody's like, ugh, now you're just like every other old douchebag band up there. Put the makeup on. Then they went back to the makeup, you know? <laughs> uh, I think it'd be kind of like that, where it would just be like, eh, it's just not the same if he wasn't, you know, wearing black eye makeup and had at least some kind of moppy hairdo. Um, plus, as you get older, that's when you need the makeup the most, right? You know? So now it makes way more sense to wear it now than when he was all, like, you know, young and and fruitful or whatever. Um, but we've all seen pictures of him with flat hair too and no makeup. And it's not like he sits around his house with like giant hair and eye makeup caked on going to the grocery store that way. So I'm sure it's only when he becomes Robert Smith that we know that it gets full blown on stage. Um, so I'd guess it's more like getting into character kind of, you know, which makes total sense that, you know, that helps him come out. He doesn't seem like the kind of dude that, totally just gets off on strutting out on stage and having it be all lights on Robert kind of thing, you know? So I think that probably helps him, you know, kind of slip into the character and know that it's go time for the band, um, by putting the makeup on. Yeah. And he has changed his look from time to time and album and album over, over the years, just cause he's kind of stuck on it in the later years. He hasn't changed much, but, uh, you know, all throughout the band, like you said, early on, he changed his look a bit. And even with like kiss me arrow with the shaved head. so he did it then. And, uh, you know, he still changed other parts of his look, you know, hockey jerseys, big black shoes instead of big white shoes, black shirt with stars on it versus a black shirt without stars on it, you know, tons of things. So, uh, (laughs) Definitely still his real hair, too. God knows what is really going on under that. But uh, it's, I would say that is definitely not a wig. Um, his scalp deserves to be included in some kind of Hall of Fame, though, I would say. That thing has been through hell and back. But, uh, yeah, must come from good genes in that family of... Uh, strong hair strong scalp but anyway thanks so much for writing in chip that was fun i hope anybody else out there that wants to write in please do uh maybe we can make this a new portion of the show where we answer some uh hypotheticals or just questions you guys may have that we may not have covered entirely um in the 117 episodes so far of this show so uh feel free to write in i always love giving my two cents 
obviously. All right. It's a great idea. Next. But speaking of Mr. Smith's unique look, that leads us to our first book of the episode. Dun, 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 dun. Surprisingly, the book is a children's book. Yeah. Um, and probably one of the most recent ones. Um, it came out, apparently it says in May 2019, but I feel like I saw stuff for this book earlier on. And um, But uh, maybe it was like a UK release and then it came out later here in the US or something. But it's a children's book. And uh, there's been a couple variations on this one. But this one's called Stories for Kids Who Dare to Be Different. True Tales of Amazing People Who Stood Up and Stood Out. Even that title is pretty uh, amazingly different. <laughs> That's a long title. So, um, and there's variations. Like I said, there's ones of like true tales of boys that dare to be different. There's a true tales of girls. Um, but this is a little everybody here. Stories for kids who dare to be different. And uh, it's by Ben Brooks. Um, I was able to check out one of the other books from our public library and would read them as nighttime stories to my kid. He really loved it because there isn't really enough like cool mini biographies for kids you know we're not really diving into the whole life of this person or what but each page kind of just has a little illustration and then a quick little write-up of why they're cool and different and um and how they've made their mark on the world i think the one i got was a little bit more of that like amazing people that took chances or something like that and uh so it kind of fit with his themes and he really liked it um i didn't have this one but luckily somebody's took a picture of it and posted it like almost a year ago probably and um and i saved the picture so i have the actual robert smith portion whoever you were out there thank you um but yeah it's a cool little book and um and uh the illustration's cool they got kind of disintegration era robert looking uh very uh serious of course i'll post the picture of that on our facebook thread but um yeah i figured i mean there's a lot of pages in the book just one of them's robert smith so uh if you like any of the other people in the book you should definitely buy it but um i'm just gonna read you the robert smith one it's just one page right so um here we go yeah, story time on the holy hour robert smith born 1959 Robert's guitar teacher thought he was terrible, so he quit lessons and learned to play by ear instead, painstakingly working out how to play the songs he heard coming from the radio. He bought his own guitar after saving up 20 pounds. Robert also started wearing makeup as a teenager. He liked the reactions it got. People would scream at him, which he found both strange and hilarious. He once wore a dress to school. None of the teachers said anything, but some boys beat him up at the end of the day. He didn't find that so funny, but he wouldn't stop being himself. It was at school that he formed a band called The Cure with four of his friends. They played their first show together in front of their classmates when they were 13. The band was searching for a singer, but couldn't find one, so Robert agreed to do it, even though he hated the sound of his own voice. He wore smeared red lipstick and black eye makeup all around his eyes, and hair sprayed his hair into a giant bird's nest. The Cure wrote songs for when you wanted to bounce around the room smiling, and they wrote songs for when you wanted to be alone, hiding under a blanket. They wrote songs for kids who felt like they didn't fit in. People called them goths, punks, new wave rockers, but Robert 
and his friends didn't call themselves anything but The Cure. When they went to record their first big album, the producer was shocked by Robert's 20-pound guitar. What is that? he asked. You can't play with that. So Robert went out and bought a new one, but secretly had parts of his old guitar built into it. I'm not technically a good player, he said, but at least I don't sound like anyone else. In 1989, The Cure played to 44,000 people in the New York Giants Stadium. The band would go on to sell over 27 million records. Robert still wears makeup. See? He still wears lipstick, still hairsprays his hair, and still plays with the parts from his first guitar. Alright, so technically, if we want to be Cure nerds, we could kind of... uh call out some of these facts but as far as a children's quick rundown of the genius of robert smith standing out and being unique sure they nailed it so uh pretty cool and um i highly recommend anybody that has little ones out there make a story time before bed a lot more fun reading about robert smith and uh explaining to your youngsters why he is a genius and not afraid to do what he wants to do Okay, moving on. We're going to, not that comics are for children by any means, but we're sticking to the uh, illustrative mode. We're going to go to those Cure comics. There's two of them. We talked about them in episode 16, which we've referenced another time recently. But, um, yeah, so there's two Cure comics that came out back in the early 90s. And um, I don't know if there's been new ones since or what, but uh, they're pretty funny, and um, you can find them. Uh, speaking of which, that stories for kids you can find online. Uh, I'm gonna try to tell you where. I know there's cooler places to buy used books, but just for ease of punching it in real quick on Amazon, you can get a new one for about ten bucks, used six dollars thirty cents. I think was the lowest I saw. So. Um, anyway, the Cure Comics you can also find out there. They go a little high for comics. 15 bucks, 13 bucks on eBay. I didn't see them on Amazon or anything. But you can find them on eBay. Pretty common. Uh, so there's two of them. The first one is uh, one that came out in July 91. It's Rock and Roll Comics is the company that puts it out or the name of the actual comic, I guess. And uh, they have other ones of like Guns N' Roses and Metallica and New Kids on the Block. The Doors. So all your favorite bands. Um, they're the black and white illustrations, even though the covers in color and, uh, the cover is probably the best illustration on it. Um, uh, but there's some good ones. Some of the illustrations are better than others. They usually, you could kind of take, like they just looked at a, it like 10 imaginary years. One of the other books we'll mention here shortly and, uh, drew that picture as a reference. So a lot of them are kind of out of context. If you know when that picture was taken, um, but that's getting a little cure nerdy, right? So anyway, it's black and white. Uh, it's pretty funny because it just goes through their their biography story, but it, it's under the premise that he's on an airplane and a book falls out of the overhead and schwacks him in on his head and his spirit leaves his body and the Grim Reaper, who has a Bart Simpson head for some reason, um, tells him, uh, it's time to go, but let's look at your life first kind of thing. So they walk through the whole history of the cure that way and you know uh it's fairly accurate for such a goofy comic kind of thing 
Um, it was the first time that I remember reading about the Lowell pissing on Billy Idol's boot incident. And I was like, no way, is that true? But sure enough, came up in uh, Lowell's, Lowell's uh, autobiography memoir that we'll also talk about later. So there you go. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. It goes all the way up to disintegration. Um, you know, it's fun, kind of funny. So if you're a comic collector in particular, definitely should get it. If you just want to collect Cure stuff, I'd recommend it too. That's the better of the two. The next one, Music Comics, is as bad as the name. Music Comics number four is the <laughs> second one. And this one you could get for about 13 bucks, which is technically not worth it at all unless you're really trying to just, you know, have it for your collection. But Music Comics number four, I guess the cover looks pretty good still too, but they're kind of just like portrait illustrations on the inside. Um, the Robert ones don't look too bad, but all the other bandmate ones are pretty terrible. And then the only real text in the comic, it's not even really written in comic format um, with dialogue or anything. It's just like a Wikipedia. Like a, and I remember it had like a ton of uh, incorrect information, you know, nothing really... Uh, too bad, but you know, just again, cure nerdy where it was, some of the stuff was like pretty inaccurate. Um, Lowell in particular, they had a real bad time trying to draw him. He looks horrific in pretty much all these pictures. And, um, yeah, so it's pretty bad because the, the, the actual text is awful and the illustrations aren't great. So, um, can't even share it halfway through. It just jumps, um, to Pearl Jam. It's like split with a Pearl Jam one. But even in the middle of Pearl Jam's illustrations, there's another one of, like, The Cure, for whatever reason. <laughs> so, uh, like, Kurt Cobain, I guess because they're talking about Seattle grunge rock or something. Or maybe it goes into some Nirvana for the second half, too. But, um, yeah, pretty bad. Um, so, yeah, it's not even a full Cure comic. It's uh, mashed up. So, don't recommend that one unless uh, you really want to have it for the collection all right gang guys let's get this rolling now with some actual books this is the first of a few biographies that were written um, i think there's a couple out there that i don't have but this is the first one i'm kind of just going no particular order. it's just the way they're, they're stacked here on my table but the first one is the cure no it's actually called robert smith the cure and wishful thinking. Pretty terrible name. Um, they make it look like Robert Smith wrote it. I guess that's what they're going for on the top. It's Robert Smith real big. Then it says under it, the cure and wishful thinking. And it has like a picture of him from about 2004 era. And it's written by Richard Carmen, Old Dick Carmen. Yep. And uh, it's not great. This is a pretty... Uh, pretty mediocre one it goes a little later than most of them i think this one goes up to about 2004 so that's good um it's it skims a lot it kind of reads like a long magazine article where the author was commissioned to just do it and not a cure fan by any means uh came out in 2005 you could usually find it on amazon for about 29 bucks um but the, a lot of these, they fluctuate, too. Um, like, time of doing it this time is, uh, like, going for, like, 100 bucks online. And definitely don't buy it for 100 bucks. Um, even 30 stretching it. Uh, so, yeah, it skims a lot. It's not good. And not a good go-to reference by any means. Um, I use it sometimes, especially with those earlier albums, when I would 
check all the better sources and then just see if for some reason something popped up in this one that wasn't in the others. So it kind of supplements well, but, um, you know, it's got a few photos in the middle. Um, and you know, it's pretty thorough. It's, it's, uh, let's see how many pages this thing is like about 230 pages or so. Um, but yeah, it gets a little like each section is just kind of all the stuff you've heard before or it's taken from the other books. So if you stumble across it cheap, grab it. It's unofficial, unauthorized, of course, and uh, doesn't really, doesn't look too fancy. So it might be a little harder to get now. Um, even looking at the one here, I have a, uh, it's like uh, pounds on it. So I don't even know. I must've just lucked out and got it used online somewhere. So there you go. Robert Smith, The Cure, Wishful Thinking. And uh, maybe that's what he was doing when he was writing it. Wishful Thinking. <laughs> moving on. All right, so moving on. Might as well jump to the pretty much the only real bio that's out there as far as like a, a thick, good book where the person puts enough personal you know, passion into the writing that you could tell that he's at least interested in the cure and research the cure. Um, hard to tell. I, yeah. I, I think it really covered it a lot. I really like this book. A lot of people kind of would bash it for whatever reasons online, but it's called never enough. The story of the cure by Jeff Apter. And, um, it was kind of my go-to for reference stuff when we we're doing the album stuff. Cause it does have all the little, funny stories of them while they were recording in the studios and stuff and enough good gritty scoop that you wouldn't just catch with like a online article or anything like that. So, uh, it is really written like the best, like the, like an actual cure biography. If anybody wants to just read their history, um, I recommend it. It's not perfect by any means. There's definitely, I don't really recall any huge errors or anything that I spotted, but a few little things that were just kind of like, huh, all right, but it's a little dry, like most biographies are, um, unless they're getting overly into it. Um, but it, as far as that kind of thing goes, it's it's really enjoyable read and uh, can fill in your, your cure timeline with all the scoop that you really need to know. Um, and it goes up to the self-titled album. Came out in, let's see, when did this come out? Must have been about 2005, too. But yeah, 2005. Um, real book, real publisher, everything. So doesn't have quite the uh, self-published feel that that other one does. Um, and it's good. It doesn't have official, it's not officially authorized or anything. So Robert hasn't really gone to any of these so much. Um, there's a couple direct conversations the author had with Lowell um, this was pre uh, cured when his book came out so he kind of tells and touches on a few of the stories that he would later tell in more detail in his book um, but yeah I think Lowell's pretty much the only one I kind of felt like at some point Boris might have talked to the author uh, but I don't know if really anybody else did or give any authorization of it. Um, so hard to tell on the truth factor like anything like that it's always a little hard to decipher what Robert is uh, being sincere about what he isn't. So, uh, but that doesn't really get into that too much of like, it's, it's just very factual and cool. So I recommend this one a lot. Um, it's price also fluctuates online. Um, I got it for like about 20 bucks, 25 bucks, uh, used for a while there. It was kind of going absurdly high, but I think, uh, now you can find it fairly cheap online. 
and uh, is worth it. This one is actually a good reference and an enjoyable read enough. I still wish somebody would do a slightly better one. Um, I feel like it could definitely be taken up a notch where somebody really dives in more, maybe even talks to Robert. You know, it doesn't have to be his thing where he's co-writing it or anything, but uh, maybe just get a little bit more in depth with it and not just kind of rehashing stuff that we've heard from every other book that's been written. But uh, maybe there isn't much really else to dig up. But uh, really good. Uh, roughly around 300 pages. So a little bit more in that one. So Jeff Apter's Never Enough. Never Enough. All right. Since we brought up Lowell's book, we might as well cover that one now. Cured, the tale of two imaginary boys. A memoir by Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. And we did a whole episode on this book uh, when it was out and everybody was talking about it. Uh, Lowell's done a whole bunch of signings for at least a year or so. It came out in 2016 and uh, he, he really toured around for it and um, and uh, is still doing some, some press stuff for it. And uh, it, now that's been out, you know, geez, three years, I guess. Um, he, uh, you know, you can find it cheaper online, but I recommend getting a good one. It's an essential for Cure fans, I think. Um, it's in paperback now, too. Did really good, I think. Um, and, and it was cool because it really dives in to the real deal. Because, you know, he, like it says, the co-founder of The Cure, like Lowell or wherever you stand on him, uh, this is great because it's really the personal stories, especially of like him and Robert growing up. And the friendship there and the real stories on the inside of the band. So, um, and I'll probably talk about it more in this, but like any person that reads a lot of music stuff, it's probably fairly obvious the difference between like biographies and autobiographies or memoirs and, um, and how they're both great in their own way. Like never enough is great because it does tell the stories of them getting shit faced while you know drinking the billion bottles of wine and kiss me era and stuff like that and really paints the picture of the story from the outside looking in and then autobiographies and memoirs are great because they tell the person's story but a lot of times they never really get into like the the nerdy fan stuff that you really want to hear of like you know that's when we set up this to record this for the you know in the studio so and so was acting like this or you know all the juicy details they're kind of like yeah you know disintegration was fun to make it wasn't that big of a deal while we're recording it (laughs) and they'll brush over it but you get all the other personal stuff and and this one um he does a good job of like you know keeping the keeping the interest level in there outside of the music, even with funny little anecdotes from stuff on tour. And, um, yeah, so it is really good. It's written really, um, a fun, easy read, um, where you can kind of just picture everything he's saying. Maybe it's cause all these images are so burned into our heads as care fans, but you really can just picture the whole book with the characters, you know, as it's happening, it really does play out in your head like a movie while you're reading it and that's pretty cool um and really focuses on the early stuff of course um you know i think about half if not more of the book is all pre you know up to you know the top i think for sure and um you know and it's unfair because the whole point of the book in a sense isn't just cure 
stories it's it's his story and it's you know the sad story of um how the alcohol just gets the better of him and unfortunately as they get into those really epic albums later from head on the door up he's just a blur with it so there it really fades quick and it's kind of unfortunate that um you know you don't get more details and stories but just knowing him and his his whole deal that he was going through with the cure at that time it kind of uh Makes sense, of course, that he wouldn't have many stories because, you know, he wasn't really there. So um, so it fades quick after about, you know, 84. Um, but then there's the whole redemption side that you're not going to read anywhere else. And you, it's great to read it from him of how he, uh, you know, the court stuff even gets brushed over a bit um, from other stuff I've read where... You know, he definitely apologetic towards it and all, but then, you know, it gets complicated. And uh, his redemption tale there of not only uh, sobering up, but, uh, you know, reuniting his friendships with Robert and the other bandmates, as far as we can tell anyway. And so it has a happy ending, not to spoil it or anything, but um, it's good that they all get back on the same page and, who knows? And uh, he seems well, and that's the bottom line. So it's a really good, good book, quick, easy read. Like I said, um, pretty much an essential for all Cure fans out there that really want to know those stories and the and and paint the whole picture. So definitely recommend it. Moving away from autobiographies or biographies or memoirs in general, we're going to take a look at photographs. And these are the other kind of uh, books that are out there that aren't just the straight up biographies and, and such. This is Andy Vella's book, which is really cool. And Andy Vella, we talked about in the last art episode, um, the other partner to Pearl in Parched Art. And um, from what I can assume, he's more the photographer side of it, and Pearl does the art. So um, when they work together, it's working that way. So this book is a book of photographs, very little text, pretty much no text, um, a few little captions here and there. But um, but basically, it's all of Andy Vela's photographs from mostly like recording sessions, but even video shoots. Most of them are just like the video shoots and pictures that we've seen a billion times, but then little variations on the pictures we've seen a billion times. So that was really cool. And this is like, yeah, this one's great because it's just got so many cool little one-offs and slight variations of things we've seen. And they're just such an amazing photographer. Like they really look amazing in all these cool pictures. Great little coffee table book if you want to put it out, you know, and, uh, let your friends thumb through it. It's very cool. This came out in 2014 and um, has a foreword by Robert Smith in it that's very nice um, and covers a good chunk of their history, kind of matching up with when they were doing the cover art and such. Uh, starts in like 83, 85, most of the video shoots through Kiss Me and Disintegration. Uh, it takes a little break after like Wish. Um, so, along with like. Um, Coral not being in the band. Then he comes back around like 2004 for a few and 2008 again with Poral. And um, yeah, so lots of cool live shots even by the end. Um, 
But yeah, just tons and tons of great pictures. And I think you can get this one fairly cheap. Now, well, it's going a little high. 36 on Amazon used, 50 new. And uh, it's not a giant coffee table size book, but, um, you know, about 12 inches maybe. Um, nice hard cover. You pretty much have to get the hard cover. I don't even know if they make a soft cover version of it. But uh, very cool. And I uh, highly recommend that one as far as cool photography books on the cure andy villa obscure it's called. all right so i'm going to talk about a book that i don't have um, i have a little list of ones that i don't have at the end i'll tell you but uh this one has popped up a lot and I'm trying to hunt it down once I start to get a little extra cash, which will probably never. Um, but it's called In Between Days, The Cure in Photographs, 82 to 2005. Um, Tom Sheehan, who I believe had an exhibit fairly recently. Um, and it's just tons and tons of those classic pictures that we've seen. And again, I'm sure it's it's uh, all the classic images that we've seen compiled in a nice hardcover book. But at the same time, I'm sure there's variations on the ones that were taken that are not really ones you see every day. And um, yeah, it looks pretty rad. It's got Robert in his black leather jacket on the cover. was like super expensive. Maybe that was like a pre-sale or something like that. But I saw it and I was just like, well, I'm never going to own this. It's so expensive. Uh, but you can get it for about 25 used now. So um, as we get into uh, late October... Um, you know, maybe it's not too early to start thinking about casually dropping this as a, a wonderful Christmas gift for people out there. Um, you know, just saying. So the description reads, Having worked with The Cure for over 20 sessions across three decades, legendary music photographer Tom Sheehan's archive offers a stunning photographic journey shown in chronological order of one of the most important and successful bands of the last 40 years. Tom Sheehan first met The Cure as a chief photographer of Melody Maker in 1982 and would follow their rise from the alternative cult band to international pop stardom over the next two decades. The Cure are one of the greatest UK bands of the last 40 years. I'm proud to have photographed them so many times, says Sheehan. Because Robert has a strong visual sense of exactly what he wants, he understands the process. Not only does that make them an easy band to shoot, it makes them an exciting band to shoot. It's been a joy to work with them and be a part of their journey. Featuring many previously unseen images, In Between Days is, a divide, is divided into three parts focusing on specific phases of their history. Part 1, 82 through 84, which traces their early travels at home and abroad, also including portraits of Smith's parallel career in Susie and the Banshees and side project The Glove. Part 2, 85-89, highlights their imperial period through a trio of classic albums, Head on the Door, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Disintegration, and including rare behind-the-scenes images of the celebrated Cure in Orange concert film. Finally, Part 3, 90-2005, collects Sheehan's latter portraits of Smith and the group as they cement their status as one of the biggest alternative bands in the world, still touring today. 
Each selection is accompanied by an essay by acclaimed author and music journalist Simon Goddard. Simon Goddard. I've heard that name. Uh, who's Simon Goddard? Hold on. Simon Goddard. He is the dude that wrote the Mazapedia, which I know is not cool to bring up right now, but uh, it's a really good book if you're a Smiths fan. Anyway, or Morrissey fan. So uh, Simon Goddard, there you go. I want this book. Let's go out. Actually, you guys don't buy it all at once because then there won't be any left. So uh, let's all one at a time buy it, okay? It doesn't work. No. But Moving on. All right, let's see. This one doesn't have any damn... Well, it does have a few pictures in it. A uh, very plain book, this book is, that I'm about to tell you about. We mentioned it in the lyric episodes. It is called Song Words, 1978 to 1989. The Cure Song Words. It's a little white book. has a, a face that was used, like love song images, I believe. has some kind of connection to... I guess they're different. So maybe it's not quite as love song arty as I thought, but I love this book. It's all their lyrics, all of Robert's lyrics, typed up on white paper. Very simple, very straightforward. It's um, 78 to 79, like I said, so it goes all the way up to Disintegration. It's broken up by album and B-sides. So that's the, the really cool part. You get all the lyrics to the B-sides, too. And... Um, it's pretty rad because a lot of those early ones didn't have the lyrics on the inside and um, this this puts it all out there um, he used it before unplugged I referenced that in the other one remember on play out right before I think he's looking at the lyrics for blood the blood and refreshing himself so even Robert has to look back at his lyrics sometimes that was nice to know that he's human and actually does have to refresh his own memory of his own lyrics. Um, it needs an update. I would love like an updated version of this that goes all the way to modern day with the new album on it. Maybe even before the new album comes out. Whoa, wouldn't that be rad? Um, anyway, it is great. I, it was one of my favorite childhood cure memories is when I saw some kind of ad in the back of a spin or one of those kind of magazines and it was like I ordered it pretty blindly even though it's called song words maybe I was just an idiot and didn't realize what it was but um uh, yeah some kind of cure book I didn't really know and I got it in the mail ripped it open and my heart exploded I was just like yes I finally can figure out what the hell he's saying for a few hours after this and um yeah so it's pretty pretty cool I mean I guess since the internet has come around that whole thing kind of ruins it but it's funner to have them in a book let's be honest right kids fuck the internet get the book <laughs> all right um you can find this one let's see uh on ebay it wasn't on amazon at the moment but you can get about 15 20 bucks so I saw a few people selling theirs on ebay so check it out song word 78 89 not a giant book, but just a normal, modest-sized, white-covered book. Alright, it's around this time. I know you guys are probably thinking, What the hell, dude? You haven't talked about ten imaginary years yet. Well, that's because... I'm talking about it now. Ten imaginary years. This is kind of the holy grail of cure books. 
It's really fucking cool. Um, pretty much the only uncool thing about it is is that it's called 10 Imaginary Years, and it only covers the first 10 years, 78 to 88, which um, is a great block of time if you're going to choose Cure Eras. That's a pretty good one. Um, it's written by Barbarian and Stephen Sutherland and Robert Smith. So this is the closest we have to anything that's officially written by Robert, um, and or he's involved in it, I guess. Most of the text is taken from like other interviews and stuff, but, um, you know, he put it all together with them. So this was all authorized and it's cool that way because it has a little everything. It's these quotes from magazine interviews and such, but then there's also tons of just cool little stuff like ads, um, thrown in there, uh, that you'll never see like little, little, um, newspaper articles or just you know ads for show upcoming shows single covers that you had never seen before um this is the kind of stuff that chaz is knee deep in when he's working on t-shirts for you guys out there that he's always digging around and finding these great old like ads and um uh from wherever the hell they were posted magazines i'm assuming for singles and albums and uh, there's even just actual like newspaper articles that are scanned in. The print is so tiny and hard to read, but you could just dig in and read it. And they're all just kind of in the little margins and stuff. And then there's the actual bio of their story. And this one's great because it really lays out, like, especially in those early years, Robert's like love of just fucking with like interviewers and stuff and just making up shit that contradicts itself constantly like he'll say one thing and then the very next paragraph he, you know and it kind of breaks up into different people or saying things so a lot of times you know like around pornography or something they'll have some explanation for something and simon will say one thing and robert will totally contradict it and vice versa back and forth and so it's pretty cool um you really get a true sense of the cure and their personalities from this book. The artwork's amazing, done by Parched Art, I believe, or maybe it was just Andy Villa. But uh, yeah, very cool. Tons of great pictures and great text. So this is like the, the ultimate for combo of the cure's history um, and just cool pictures. This was my go-to for all the uh, album episodes. If you want to call me out on something, it was usually probably just because I read it from this. Like I said, maybe Robert didn't really mean it or whatever, but uh, I pretty much went through this one first, then would brush it up with Never Enough. But, like I said, the catch is that it only goes up to um, Kiss Me and ends with In Orange pretty much. So it doesn't even get to Disintegration, which is crazy. So talk about updates, not so much the lyric book. This damn thing needs about 30 years worth of updates. Um, it would be amazing. It's so good. And not absurdly hard to find. It's definitely out of print, um, but you can find it for about 30 bucks used on Amazon usually. Um, and I highly recommend snagging one because it's probably not going to be around and only get harder and more expensive to find as the years go on. It ends with a very classic. I remember loving this as a kid where it has just like uh, little childhood photos of all the bandmates and all the people that have ever been in the band. And just a little picture of them as a kid. And then little fact sheet, you know, of like when they were born and their family and their parents' names and their history growing up and stuff. So nothing super thorough by any means. But, I mean, how much, you know, are we really going to find out about, you know, 
Phil Thornally. So uh, very cool. And, uh, you know, you've seen a lot of these images at this point now with the Internet over and over, but it's great to have them in a book. And, uh, yeah, this is this is the one. But a lot of people, you know, praise and praise this one all day. But it was funny for me in the tape stores around 1988, 89. It's hard to say when I actually tracked these down. But 10 Imagine Years came a little bit later. It was a little harder to find. But in, like, the Sam Goody or whatever at the mall, wall-to-wall uh, -wall sound. Let's see how many of them I can name. Um, Waxy Maxies. We had... Uh, uh, I feel like I'm missing a bunch. Did I say wall-to-wall -wall sound? Yeah. Um, Kent Mill. If we went up to Springfield, we could splurge at a Kent Mill Records. Um, but these are, and you know, pretty early on, even I realized that tape stores and such in the mall were a complete rip-off. They'd always overprice everything. But you had to check, you know? And they'd always had that little side section that had some books and t-shirts. And uh, around this era, late Kiss Me era, is when they started getting Cure stuff. And uh, that's where you get your your Cure poster, Cure t-shirt, and occasionally Cure book. Cure visual documentary is the one I'm talking about. Written by Dave Thompson and Joanne Green. Dave Thompson, we all know from his success in the Wendy's fast food restaurant business. Never knew he was such a diehard Cure fan. But uh, when he's not making those... Whop, uh, not Whoppers, but was it Junior Bacon Cheeseburger? Damn, he's, he's listening to The Cure, co-writing some books. It goes like a timeline. The whole thing's written out like a timeline if you're not familiar with it. And, uh, and it's cool because it's got little articles, reviews, quick snippets from reviews. But, I mean, it's like tight timeline. So let me find like a good example and just tons of good pictures. So it's cool. It's like the first time I saw so many of these pictures. But, um... So it would be like shows they played, like the actual tours, they would just list like the dates. It was like uh, June 4th, 79, playing in Nottingham, June, 7, June 5th, 79, playing in Hoddersfield, Eric's in Liverpool, and June 7, 1979. So there you go. The infamous Eric's, they played that in 79. Um, so yeah, um, just really cool. Um, you know, it's hard to say how thorough it is fact wise but i mean it's not like opinion driven at all really it's just very uh matter of fact bam 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 lining it up and i remember this was like the first time because i got this before the staring at the seas videos um i'd seen like i think like two or three cure videos just on um when i'd visit my grandparents and they had cable so i'd stay up late and watch alternative nation or whatever the equivalent was at that point and um no, it wasn't Alternative Nation. It was called something diff different. Uh, oh, well, not important. Not even 120 minutes was around yet, I think. Um, maybe it was, but I didn't see that. But I'd just seen like a couple videos, but then I would see the images from this, which made watching the videos that much more awesome because I was like kind of familiar with, with like, oh, that's the video with the cat suit. Well, of course, it was Love Cats, but... Um, you know, I hadn't really seen the whole thing, but it looked like a blast. Um, so, yeah, very cool. Um, it has a great discography in the back, too, or at the time it was great um, because I'd never had anything just laid out, like, a you know, all over the Internet now. But this was like, oh, my God, here it is. Finally, I got a checklist of what albums are out there and exist and what's on it, and I could just kind of narrow my search and really make sure I have everything. So... 
Very cool. It even has like Susie and the Banshees stuff with Robert listed in the discography there and the VHS tapes. So pretty rad. And uh, I highly recommend this one. You can find this uh, used pretty cheap. Six bucks on Amazon, 25 bucks new. Dave Thompson, great job. Yeah, this was the one that I used as a um, book report in in sixth grade, the year I met Donald, the bad boy himself. We, uh, I think I told this story fairly early on in the podcast, but uh, we had to do a book report and then dress up as the character. It was like a biography book report or something, and uh, and dress up as that character to give your book report. And uh, I was scared to death because I had to do this book. I just read it and uh, so yeah, it must have been 89, I guess, 88, 89. Yeah, I didn't. I really wanted to dress up like Robert Smith, but I knew smearing lipstick on my face, sixth grade, that's not going to go over too well. So I was like, what to do, what to do? Oh, yeah, I could just stick up my hair a little bit, button my shirt all the way up, my nice blue button-up shirt. And go for 17 seconds era Robert. So that saved the day. I could show my love of the cure and get in character without um, just getting totally beat up. This was rural Virginia, by the way. So, um, yeah, if I had done uh, uh, top era Robert Smith, not sure that would have gone over too well with the boys on the bus. So, uh, yeah, that was cool. Donald. He'd read Bruce Springsteen's biography, he claimed, and he was Bruce Springsteen and brought down the house with his, uh, you had to go through the facts of the biography, and they said, well, where are you born? Born in the USA. That Donald, always getting the laughs. So this one isn't even a book at all, but it's come up again fairly recently. It's the Uncut Ultimate Music Guide magazine. So they put out these fancy magazines occasionally, these uncut ones, or the Ultimate Music Guide ones. And I got this one about 2013-ish, and it recently got kind of revised and put out some new stuff um, that I think goes all the way up to modern times. I remember seeing online recently a lot of people were debating, like, should I buy this thing? Especially because you had to order it from... England usually or somewhere and they were just like expensive as hell especially for a magazine it's just hard to justify that but I gotta admit this magazine is awesome it is so good um I was just in a couple years into having my kid at the time and my wife went out doing something I think she ran by like a Barnes and Nobles or something and just saw it and bought it on a whim for me and I initially was like oh sweet cool and um not even really catching how cool it was. I was just, I was like, yeah, another Cure magazine. Great. What are they possibly going to say in here that I haven't read before? Um, but it's really rad. And I think it's rad because of this reason. It's, uh, it's usually broken up into albums and it was, most of it was two articles. The first one is like a review of when the album came out. So like, you know, it'd be like pornography 82 and, um, a2 yeah a2 and uh it was the review of it from the time and then it's followed by like a a looking back review of it now or at least something from like when the reissue came out probably um so it's kind of cool just to see in certain examples of like when it totally got trashed by the review when it came out and now they're like oh the most epic wonderful masterpiece ever and uh that kind of thing so it's really thorough and um has a great discography in that too and the section in the back it goes through all like 
Robert Smith collaboration singles and just one-off things that if some of those have slipped through the cracks, you know, it's a great way to be like, oh, shit, what was this song he did with somebody, you know, and you can track that down um, and and look for it a little more specific. Uh, so, yeah. And I use this one actually a lot when I was referencing the uh, episodes too. pretty much anything wild mood swings up. It, there isn't as much press on from those actual books anyway. Um, so pretty cool. I definitely recommend it. Um, just, just seeing that contrast of old and new reviews and, uh, it may seem like just like a dumb magazine, but it's a good one to have in your collection. And I think it can get like used even like 10, 20 bucks now. So I think the prices have calmed down a little bit since that revised one even came out, but maybe you can find the old one, um, even cheaper. Uh, I can't imagine there'd be anything that amazing that was added to the revised one, but, uh, might as well try to get that one that has a little bit more in it. So yeah, magazine uncut ultimate music guide by various authors. All right, we're wrapping up now. We're on the, the last official book I have here. This one is fairly new 2018 came out uh i waited a bit just because i got the vibe it wasn't gonna be anything that crazy rare but um you know i had it on my christmas list from last year and sure enough i lucked out this one feels more like a coffee table book i guess it is technically it's big hardcover um and it is written like a bio and that's it's tough. This is the one Chaz and I really wanted to talk about because he got it around the same time and we were reading it together. And um, it's cool because there's tons of great pictures. It's written in, you know, like a sort of biography format. Um, it does kind of try to dig in, but, um, you know, so it's not total surface level, but a lot of times it's just kind of lost in the photos. Chaz wasn't blown away by the rarity of the photos in it i thought it was a good collection of photos and awesome just to have on your table you can thumb through and have friends look at when they come over and stuff like that um i guess you know since he he digs around on the photos a lot more uh, with the t-shirt angle um than i probably do but i feel like you know i didn't see much in there that totally was like whoa i've never seen this before either so uh so it's not crazy rare but that's kind of hurt just by like the vastness of the internet. Um, I don't know if it'd be really hard to, to find a whole book's worth of stuff that we haven't seen, but, uh, they're nice and it's great to have them just in a nice little collection. Um, so that I'd give it good credit for. And since it is a bigger book, they're nice printed and blown up, you know, photos that look really good. Um, the pluses for it. Let's see the positive side of perfect dream. Did I say perfect dream yet? That's what I'm talking about here. 2018's Perfect Dream by Ian Giddens. Um, So the positive side, it goes album by album. It has like a little fact sheet. That's probably my favorite part of these is like when it starts a new album, Disintegration starts, has a Disintegration page album cover blown up real nice and a little fact sheet that goes with it. And um, just has like where it's recorded and some kind of liner notes stuff. And it also has... Uh, throughout the book, another plus is, um, I don't know if they're on the fact sheet or not, but, um, the, uh, lyric literary, literary references, like the episode that Bella and I talked about way back when, um, and a lot of them were pulled exactly from what we were talking about. So I still have the feeling since we put out that episode before this, that they 
listened to our episode and snagged it. So, um, so what the hell, man, Ian? But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's cool that they're in there. I think there's a couple that we didn't touch on where he, he they tell you the book that Robert was referencing in his lyrics for that song or this song. Um, so yeah, that kind of bleeds into negatives too. The the actual text in the book is composed basically of summarizing Never Enough and Cured, Lowell's memoir. So I feel like as far as actual bio content, it's just getting Never Enough and Cured because this is just like summarizing what they say. And almost a, a super annoying where he's trying to use as many 10-cent words as possible, you know? I'm always the first to just blame myself and be like, oh, I'm just a dummy, but what is he trying to say here? And uh, he's just swapping out like adjectives and trying to make it sound way more intellectual than it is. It's like, just fucking say the sentence, dude. It gets really annoying by the end, to me anyway. So if anybody else agrees, let me know, or maybe I am just losing my mind. But um, I felt like he was just cashing in on him way too much. Like every other word, he's trying to just spice up the uh, the vocabulary a little too heavy. Um, so yeah, it's good in the sense too, that this one goes so recent It even goes all the way to torn down and the meltdown festival and everything, which was a huge plus. Cause there's just, isn't much, you know, 413 stuff out there, strangely enough. Um, but the, the negative again on that is that it's all real thin, like everything, you know, that is from these later ones, like to the point where he's even citing chain of flowers, you know, it's just like, you know, we all saw that post too, you know, but you know, when you first glance at it, it's just like, oh shit, cool. He's talking about torn down, you know, and it's just like nothing really just acknowledging that it exists. I think there's a little picture of the album cover kind of thing. They threw it in at the last second probably, but, um, you know, it's cool cause it goes through that. So it's hard to say. Um, I think if you, if you just want to have a nice coffee table book that has a little everything, then sure, go for it. It's not running too expensive, about 20 bucks now used. Um, but, uh, you know, and just for the collection, it's cool. But if you're really looking for rare photos um, or content, I'll go with any of the other options. Sorry, Ian. That pretty much wraps it up. Um, thanks so much for uh, hanging in there with me. I hope uh, I wasn't totally boring you to death with uh, just my two cents on all these books. But, um, you know, it's fascinating. And, and I remember hearing in one of the more recent interviews, they were talking about Lowell writing his memoir. And somebody asked Robert if he would ever do that. And he didn't flat out say no, I recall. But he did say that he would just want to do something different, you know, like books or books with that, you know, and... And he said, suggested that that's what the Tim Pope documentary kind of was, was like his take on a autobiography or telling the cure story. And he would rather just do it in a different format than like him just rehashing all his memories of everything, which is a bit unfortunate because I think we would all love to read that. But uh, I like the idea of putting a twist on it and doing it as a visual thing and a visual, you know, now we know that that's being paused because he wants the new stuff to be part of it. So, uh, we could put that in the uh, probably never going to fucking happen stack. But it's nice to to ponder and wonder as they, you know, calm down their, their run in a few years probably. It might resurface again. Sounds like everything's where it needs to be as far as being recorded and just needs to be put together. But that'd be kind of cool. And it kind of goes back to the idea of what 
you know, I was initially talking about with the autobiographies versus a biography, where if we got Robert's story from Robert's perspective, who knows? That might be like the craziest memoir autobiography we've ever read in a sense. I mean, I would love just to be in his head enough to read whatever he, his take on any situation is. But um, even in the very most recent interview, he put out something where he's talking about how everybody's got a different perspective of history, which is so true, you know? And of course the only one he thinks is 100% true is his own. So, so I'm sure he's got a huge different take on everything. Um, but like I was saying with autobiographies, it's not going to be so much about the nerdy cure fan facts of, you know, what they did while they were recording this or that album, you know, it's probably just be more what was going through his head and that could be cool in a totally different way. But, uh, yeah, so I would love to read it, but it doesn't sound like it's going to happen anytime soon. So, um, just a quick rundown of a few books I've seen online that I don't have. I know Chaz had a couple of these, so maybe he can let us know uh, what he thinks. But the discography book is out there. It's called On the Record by Darren Butler. Um, I think he said it goes up to Wish, maybe? Um, definitely not super recent um, or even mixed up. Um, so anyway, discography book, it's just a, a really thorough book of a discography for the cure that has everything in it. There's an Italian version he got recently, um, of the song words from what I gathered, it's pretty much the song words book, but in Italian. So if you're Italian, that's good. Um, faith is a book, believe it or not written. It's a bio. I have no clue what this one is. Dave Bowler and Brian Dre. And it's just called Faith on it. Um, so, yeah, not sure. Going for about 10 bucks online, though, so probably not great. Um, 40 Years of In-Between Days and Listening to the Cure is a book that's out there, written by Dave Thompson. So maybe he is more of a fan than I think when he's not flipping burgers or making burgers. He's writing about the cure. It looks very self-published on Amazon. It's going for about 25 bucks. Um, Dave has another one. This one's called Making of Disintegration by Dave Thompson. Going for $45 used. This one is like, what the fuck? And uh, I was curious about this one. I really wanted to uh, dig in and see what it was exactly. But there's a review of it that I want to read for you guys. It's pretty funny online. So it's the making of disintegration. That sounds rad, right? And then it looks like it's like a, it's got a little puzzle piece on the cover. Looks like a CD booklet, and I think that's what it is. It says, the review is a one-star review. It's the only real detail on it. It says, waste of money. This is a total waste of money. It's just a booklet-sized discography. Don't let the title fool you. There are no insights at all about how our beloved album was recorded. Just a dumb biography, way incomplete and shallow. One interview. You can find plenty of that online on any Cure fan site. Nothing more. A lot of bucks for a 15-minute read. Blah. Damn. So I think it's probably safe to hold off on buying that one. Uh, sorry, Dave. Must have been a slow week at the uh, Wendy's. Uh, I do recommend Gorman Gas novels as far as actual books that Robert has been influenced by to write lyrics, as we talked about in the literature episode. You can get those pretty much like three bucks used online show it sometimes of course by penelope farmer and uh all the sheet music books as far as i know 
the ones that have sheet music song books out there, Disintegration, Standing on the Beach, uh, Wild Mood Swings, Wish, and Greatest Hits. I really wish they'd put out a Kiss Me or Head on the Door one that has all those. But, um, you know, it's still a pretty good chunk of, of great Cure albums. Disintegration, Standing on the Beach, Wild Mood Swings, Wish, Greatest Hits. Anybody that's just learning or just wants to have a, a good official version of Cure chords and lyrics and melody recommend those songbooks i think you can get them fairly cheap online so to wrap up my book reviews i would say the essential ones you should have never enough by jeff apter good thorough bio not perfect but uh as far as the list of biographies i think that's the best one in my opinion tell me why i'm wrong i'll be glad to hear you uh, 10 Imaginary Years, of course, is very thorough, authorized, about as official as we're going to get with The Cure. Um, only downside is it's only the first 10 years, but uh, it's definitely a must-have in your Cure book collection. Also, Cured by Lowell, you know, ideally, you know, that Simon memoir would be pretty rad, <laughs> and Boris's, but you got to love Lowell. He's a character, he's a co-founder, and it's a hell of a story of redemption and childhood friendship. Very, very kind to Robert in this book and uh, makes you fall in love with him even more. So uh, I recommend Cured. Go get it, read it, and feel like you got a better perspective on how this band got rolling and the humans that have composed these wonderful songs. Um, as far as picture books, though, the visual documentary one's good just because it's got a good timeline and good pictures. Um, Obscure, the Andy Vella one, is awesome one just to have on your coffee table. As I said, just thumb through it. Very cool photos. And uh, probably this in-between days one that I don't have, um, Tom Sheehan. Go get it. I think it looks pretty rad. And, uh, you know, if you just want a little bit of everything, this Perfect Dream one isn't probably as bad as I made it sound. But, uh, you know, got a good surface on covers a little bit of everything. So so there you go, guys. And I uh, hope you get some books. You enjoy them. we got some great episodes on the horizon. My review of Austin City Limits. It's going to be fucking nuts if I uh, make it back alive. I'm not, not the best solo traveler. I tend to get lost, and I get to, uh, so hopefully I won't mess up and miss the whole show. But um, if this gets posted, you know I made it back alive at least. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be fucking great. I can't wait to share every detail with you guys. And we got the Mystery Caller episode that I'm splicing together. Three amazing callers that we took first come, first serve from Instagram comments. Sophia, Andy, and Kelly. And uh, we talk on a wide range of cool stuff. So uh, Bad Boy was in rare form that night. So brace yourselves. And uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and YouTube. And follow us on the Instagram page and uh, Facebook page um, for the Holy Hour podcast. Um, if you want to get those old episodes, you know, I can't recommend enough going over to YouTube. I know it's tough unless you're sitting in a cubicle. Uh, listening to fucking YouTube for a, a podcast, but that's where they all are. Um, all the old ones too are on the podcast garden homepage. So if you go to podcast garden and punch in the holy hour, you can also, I think download them from that, but, uh, we're also on Spotify, Stitcher and all the other Google play stuff. I think we're on all those too. So go check all those out. Drop me a message at gavinconnor at gmail.com. If you want to talk to me directly and, um, 
yeah, we'll catch you next time. Again, sorry to Chaz that I had to jump the gun on this books one, but we'll get we'll get plenty of Chaz talking in soon. Be sure to check out 17secondshirts.bigcartel.com to get all Chaz's latest awesome shirts. Always new ones in the works. Don't miss out. Follow his 17 underscore seconds Instagram to get little heads up so you don't miss. They're all pre-order in case you haven't caught on yet how this works. He'll post that this is coming out. You have pre-order. You pre-order it, and then uh, it'll get to you. But once it's done, it's done. So uh, you might luck out with some leftovers, but uh, you don't want to take that chance. So uh, follow that page and keep your eye on 17 Second Shirts bigcartel.com. All right. Um, stop rambling now. Talk hard. Read hard. Read hard. Yes. Welcome to a night of music and despair. <laughs> it doesn't work. No.